Welcome to the Hopeless Wonder Podcast Extra, episode 16, with me, Adam Gipke, Craig Rogers, and Andy McBride. And this week is just the three of us, but there's lots to cover off this week. And so without further ado, let's catch up with our co-hosts. So Craig, amazing winning goal from Ryan Kent this week uh, for Rangers against Kilmarnock, which I'm sure you'll go into detail a lot more. But how have you been doing, mate? Yeah, not bad. Not bad, as per usual. Quite busy at work, as as we all are, mate. But doing well. What about yourself? Yeah, keeping well. Um, I feel like this week has been just like after every kind of meeting has been another meeting and it's just been lots of requests even within a five minute period that you have spare just don't seem to be able to do a lot of work so um just lots being thrown at us but i'm sure it's the same for everyone right now working from home especially with the kids being off it's probably made it a little bit harder for those parents as well um and andy how about you i mean i joked last week about the fact that west brom could get a draw out of that result on sunday um but you drew um we'll get your review shortly on that particular game but in general how you've been keeping anyway yeah like i said apart from sort of stressing out what united as per usual um i managed to lock myself out of my out of my girlfriend's house yesterday that was um awkward because uh, I'd, I'd gone i'd gone down <laughs> i'd gone down to the shops and um i took my i took my own keys to my own house rather than hers so and this was like i was still technically working as well <laughs> and i was just like oh so that was an expensive trip like 45 quid just to get let back in the house um yeah so needless Ooh. to say um yeah that was an expensive trip wasn't it but yeah it was uh, breaking up to my girlfriend was somewhat yeah. interesting. Hopefully, you won't have to spend that amount again. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, God. But, yeah. no. Let's start off then. Anyway, this week, we're not going to start off with the Premier League, but instead with the Champions League. So I'll cue the music. Um, but let's start off with the ex Southampton managers derby as Maurizio Pochettino's PSG took on Ronald Koeman's Barcelona. And I don't know about you guys, but. It was kind of a eye-opener in the sense of seeing how bad Barcelona have been. We've been talking about how bad they've been this season, but generally that was quite a shocking display from Barcelona. Um, what I found quite laughable was around the penalty initially being given away by Lavan Kuzava uh, for tripping Frankie de Jong. Um, by letter of law, it is a penalty, but... Yeah, a bit of a strange one. But after that, PSG completely owned it. And Mbappe equalised with some great skill, tucking away um, a first goal equalised. And then the second was great play in the middle of the park. Uh, Moises Keane scored a third and Mbappe sealed the win, really. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And I, I know there's going to be lots of things to kind of talk about Um but in particular, I kind of wanted to bring to the listener, there was a poster Andy shared on our group, which was um, saying the words of, tough to say if there was more holes in the defence rather than the finances at Barcelona. And I think that kind of summed up that match. So, um, Andy, from your point of view, how bad were Barcelona? Very bad. It's, um, I mean, they, they had... This isn't, this isn't new from Barcelona. They have they've had the habit of dropping a few stinkers in the Champions League over the years. Um, I mean, they dropped a stinker the last time they played PSG in the knockout stages, and but they had the players back then to bring it back. Um, I think that's the worry is you don't see you know whereas before they had Neymar, you know, peak Suarez, Messi at the peak of his powers. You know, they don't have that. They've got far too many senior players over the hill. 
and the players that are coming up behind them haven't really got their required quality to come back. Like, you just do not see them coming back for 4-1 down, especially without a crowd to sort of gee or boo, boo them on. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I'd be a bit worried if I was a Barcelona fan. And, um, Craig, from your point of view, obviously, I didn't see many players turn up for Barcelona, and I think that's probably the most worrying thing. Um, but do you think that's kind of hinting towards the style of playing that they've got right now, or is it just down to the players just not giving a damn right now? I think it's more to the, the players can't, just can't perform at that level anymore. And before before the game three or four weeks ago, if you'd have asked me, as I said, yeah, PSG will, will, will tear that defence apart, but then Neymar gets injured, Dia Maria is then missing the game, and you think, oh, well, maybe this may be a bit closer than you would think. But then watching the game last night, they were just second to every ball, outclassed at the back. There's a really, really telling photographer on Twitter of Gerard Piquet pulling back Mbappe's shirt as he speeds away from him. And that's quite a useful metaphor to describe the entire Barcelona scene at the moment, where you've got these old, ageing, once great players just tugging to try and keep a hold of these young European you know, superstars. And yeah, Andy's right, there's, there's no way there's no way they're going to go to the Parc de France and, and even keep a clean sheet. They need to win. They need to score four goals. PSG have four away goals. Um, even if our 3-0 win is not enough for Paris. Uh, sorry, not enough for Barcelona. So they have to go win and it's just not going to happen. But yeah, I mean, you could just tell. You could just tell that there was just no pace at all at the back. And Frankie Dion, bless him, I thought he worked really, really hard. He was trying. But yeah, if you're in the centre of that midfield... Um, yeah, they were just getting opened up. Every time I looked up at the screen, it was just wave after wave of PSG attack and the inevitable happened. And, you know, Mbappe had one of those amazing games. We spoke a few weeks ago about Phil Foden's game against Liverpool sort of announcing himself as one of the best players in the Premier League. And you can't really say that that's Mbappe announcing himself because he's killing Mbappe, massive transfer fee and all the rest of it. But I did feel like Mbappe kind of put a stamp on the new generation. I'm sure we'll talk about Haaland as well and what he did last night. I thought that was Mbappe really yeah. announced himself as you know, not just a great player, but, you know, one of the top sort of two or three in the world right now. I was going to say, one thing I found interesting in that game was, um, you know, a guy um, had a yellow card. You know, he's been sort of putting himself out there on the pitch and stuff like that. Now, it reminded me of when United were playing PSG and Fred had a yellow card, um, didn't get taken off, was allowed to stay on the pitch, got sent off. And I think that is probably the difference that Pochettino is making. You know, those little things like that, mm-hmm. of knowing when to make the changes is what separates, you know, an OK coach from like an elite one. Because um, mm-hmm. again, if you go down, you know, even with Barca and their current, predicament if you go down if you go down to 10 against them you are going to find yourself in a bit of a tricky situation um but yeah so i think it was good management and also like is it the same moise keen that played for everton or is it a different yeah. one <laughs> yes guys yeah, I know. <laughs> no. so i do wonder sometimes but then that's the uh, habit psg have haven't they I mean, do you remember Chipper Moting and how amazing he appeared for PSG, right? Um, But yeah, on a more serious point and around the Barcelona aspect, so we had a question come through saying, do we think it's a Messi decline and subsequently a Barca decline or is it Barca in a free fall and Messi is doing all he can in the current state? Let's go to Craig for an answer on that one. I think it's probably the latter. I think Messi's... 
He did have quite a slow start to the season, if memory serves. Yeah. But he has been putting in some decent numbers recently. He has upped his game. I think when Barcelona were, were you know, the team in Europe to beat, they had that front three. The pressing was really good. The midfield were on it. Busquets was a lot more mobile. I think what you're finding now is that Messi is, of course, not the player he was, but he's still a world-class player. I think the people around him, he just doesn't have that that quality. Griezmann's never really done it. No. Um, Busquets is done. I, I can't believe he's still getting a game for Barcelona. Pique is done. Jordi Alba shouldn't be there. Um, you just you look from start to finish, and I think Messi's probably doing what he can. With what he can, he's still scoring goals in, in La Liga. But they've gone on a good run, Barcelona, to be fair, in La Liga. They, um, they have put a string of games together. But it's quite clear when they come up against top opposition, you know, Bayern Munich in, in last season's Champions League, they got horsed against Juventus in the group seasons, I believe. Um, and it's quite clear mm. that when they take that step up into sort of top European quality competition, they get an absolute hosing. Um, and I think that says more about the team than it does yeah. about, about Messi. Yeah. And Andy, your thoughts on this situation currently at Barca or Messi's situation? Well, I think with Messi, I mean, if you look at the goals he scored last weekend, I mean, they're absolute bangers. Uh, sort of classic Messi reads cutting into his left mm-hmm. foot cutting in from the edge of the area so I think after he's sort of got over his um, prolonged sulk um, basically everything to do with Barcelona um, I think he's just kind of got his head down and got on with it so you know you could argue that he's actually put, doing his mm-hmm. bit uh, but as Craig said the supporting cast yeah. around him is woefully inadequate I mean if you think about like the amount of money they spent on Osman Dembele um, and the return they've got, it's, um, you know, that that deal there kind of sums up um, how badly they've been mismanaged over the years. Um, and although they've got some okay players yeah. coming up, like, you know, Sergina Dest, uh, young US international coming up, uh, you know, Rookie Pig, uh, they've got a slightly older lad, Carlos Elena, good technical players, but they're not in the same class of like your Zavis and Iniestas of like, you know, 10 years ago. And yeah. they haven't got the money, you know, for, normally what happens at Barcelona is that they supply the core of their squad for their academy, and then they can spend the money on getting in, filling in the gaps that they need. Uh, whereas now, you know, the, yeah. the products coming through the academy aren't the world-class players you've seen of 10 years ago, but they haven't got the money to go and find solutions elsewhere. Um, and that's why I think this Barcelona mm. decline, I think there's worse to come. Like I genuinely think if Barcelona yeah. fans think it's bad now, I think it's going to get a hell of a lot worse before it gets better. And just a word for PSG, I felt... I don't know about you guys, but I felt they played a lot more fluid without the likes of Neymar and Di Maria. Um, certainly, they seem to play more as a team than possibly if they had the likes of Di Maria and uh, Neymar. And maybe that's just more to do with the kind of personalities and attributes those players have on the squad. I mean, particularly, I can imagine them being very kind of forward-facing, really great in the attack, but absolutely awful at coming back and maybe defending and I think you kind of wanted that blend and maybe Pochettino's trying to get that initially right now but um, maybe it just landed into place I mean I know we joked about Neymar's appear or disappearance should I say but actually might be a blessing in disguise going forward I um, don't know what your thoughts are but personally um, it's one of those teams that I feel like if they could get a good team going in that squad then they've got potential to be, you know, Champions League winners for years to come. So I don't know if you guys might leave in the same way as I do on that sort of sentiment anyway. 
Yeah, I do. I think you're you're right that when Neymar plays, they tend to put everything through him. Um, even Mbappe, when when you watch them, the two play, it's almost like Mbappe is Neymar's understudy. And even mm. Mbappe looks to pass to Neymar, and everyone looks at Neymar to make things happen. And I did find that last night, and I watched them um, a couple of times recently, and with Neymar out of the team, the rest of the players do start to step up creatively and, and create chances. They were really, really good last night. Um, I thought Verratti as well. I'm, I'm used to Verratti. Yeah playing as a sort of number six, not really getting forward. But I thought last night he was he was excellent, almost in like a number 10 role. I thought he played really, really well mm. and linked up. Um, and that's something that Pochettino's brought in with him. So not an excellent job. And I think you're right. They're probably potentially, it's hard to call them a dark horse with the money that they spend. And they got to the final last year. Yeah. Certainly wouldn't have been the bookies' favourite um, for this title in August. But after that performance last night, you know, they might be up there. And on that same night, we also saw Liverpool beat Leipzig in a surprise 2-0 win, given Liverpool's recent performance. Um, I think we'll cover off Liverpool in a bit later on in the show, but certainly um, I didn't anticipate that result. Um, Andy, I don't know if you felt the same way, but I, I expected maybe Leipzig to do a lot better than that performance suggested. I don't know, Leipzig are a little bit in- inconsistent. I mean, United battered them 5-0. Um, in the group stages of the Champions League, they do blow very hot and cold. Um, I think in that game, you know, they gave them some Christmas presents. They, they gave Liverpool Christmas presents, like some of the um, the giveaways. I think especially one uh, from Sabitza. Um, it was just criminal. You know, they sort of giving the ball away to the likes of Salah in a load of space. Like, what do you, it doesn't matter what form they're in. Like, what do you think is going to happen if you give Salah space on the edge of the area and don't close him down? I mean, honestly. Um, so, yeah, they, they have a habit of shooting themselves in the foot. And I think uh, with Liverpool, you know, they'll probably be happy because they've got the goals that they need. Um, you know, I don't see them doing too badly. Um in the, in the next leg either. So, yeah, I think they'll be all right. Meanwhile, Haaland obviously proved to be the other youngster ripping it up in the Champions League as Borussia Dortmund beat Sevilla 3-2. Initially, Dortmund weren't behind as Suso shot and had it deflected off Mats Hummels. Um, but an incredible equaliser by Dahoud and two impressively taken goals by Erling Haaland um, brought an end to Sevilla in the first leg. Um, yeah, Impressive performance by Dortmund. I didn't see that happening. I kind of anticipated Sevilla maybe being a bit more aggressive in terms of the way they played. Um, and um, I don't know if they were just scared or just overawed by the um, kind of game. But yeah, you didn't see the Dortmund that we've been kind of commenting in the league where they've been really drab and really poor in defensive efforts. But Craig, I'll bring you into the foray for an answer on this. Um, what do you think went right for Borussia Dortmund? Because, yeah, I, I couldn't work out why they've got this kind of performance. Yet in the league, they've been struggling. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I thought Sevilla would win this game, to be honest. Um, Sevilla have been playing well in La Liga. I watched them beat Barcelona quite comfortably in the Copa del Rey. And I thought, oh, they're, they're a really good team here. And then Dortmund... If I knew the answer to that, I'd be in professional management myself, I think. I don't understand whether it's they can't really get up for games against Mainz and Bielefeld and the Dross and the Bundesliga and whether it's young players like Haaland and Sancho who are in the Champions League under the lights with the music and just think, oh, and they rise to the occasion. I think Haaland and his, uh, his post-match interview came out and said that it was Mbappe the night before 
seeing him perform like that gave him some motivation. And it might just be as, as simple as that. But they really, really stepped up. Sevilla looked terrified of Haaland. I mean, they looked terrified. As soon as he ran yeah. at the ball, both centre-halves, and I like this, the centre-half Koundé they've got, the young French boy, I think he's really good. But when, when Haaland's turns and runs at them, if you watch the highlights, you can see them both just back off and back off and back off. And that's where Haaland's first goal certainly came from when they let him carry the ball and he did the one-two with Sancho. But, yeah, superb performance for him. Two really good finishes. Um, but, yeah, Dortmund pulled out of absolutely nowhere. Three away goals. You would like to think they'll be okay in the home leg. And that, for me, is a shock that they've got through to the quarterfinals if they do so. And, uh, Andy, just to reflect on the Juventus and Porto game, don't know if you saw the first goal for Porto, but some calamity play at the back. Um, Bentegar passed it to Wojciech Szczesny within like a couple of yards of the goal itself. And basically, Mendy Tarimi just basically dived in and it deflected off him into the net. So, um, terrible first goal to concede. Then they scored on the 46th minute to take it to 2 0 before Federico Chiesa scored to pull a goal back, at least to give them some hope in the return leg. Um, but a lot of people commented that that was the worst Juventus performance in Europe ever, um, which says a lot. Um, but yeah, I don't suspect you watched the match, but what was your thoughts on that particular goal anyway? Yeah, I saw, a couple of, I saw the highlights of it. It's just an it, absolute calamity. I mean, uh, Roy Chesney whipping it back to his Arsenal days because uh, Jenny has been quite solid <laughs> for Juventus. Um, yeah. I, yeah, it's very un-Juventus-like, but they haven't been at their best season, at, at their best this season, rather. Mm. Um, and I still think um, they'll probably um, bring it back in the home leg. Um, I mean, you have to say, I think this year is probably the last chance maybe Ronaldo has of trying to get that Champions League title, which he was bought to Juventus for, let's not forget. Um, yeah. But, you know, personally, I don't see them winning it. But I think what I'm finding interesting with knockout stages, mm-hmm. if you look at, say, Liverpool and Leipzig, you know, we both mentioned they've both not been in very good form. I think the knockout stages are a free hit um, in a way. You know, Dortmund are not expected to win it. Um, you know, neither are Liverpool to an extent based on the form that they're in this season. Um, and I think it's almost like a break from the league fixtures, you know, the twice weekly uh, grind that we've been subjected to. I think maybe because the players yeah. feel a bit more, less pressure um, and things like that. So I think that's maybe why the, the European form is a bit of a contrast to the, uh, the league form. And while we're talking about it, we're on a Thursday night recording this pod and Real Sociedad have lost 3-0 to Man United. So, Andy, let's reflect on that game. It seems like Bruno Fernandes turned up again, scoring two goals and Rashford tucks in a third. Actually, is it 4-0? It finished, 4-0? Yeah, he finished 4-0 in the end, yeah. So, a great, re- great performance, right? Yeah, it was good. Um, I think, you know, I haven't seen obviously much of El Sociedad this season, but no, they look quite neat on the ball, uh, which you'd expect from a team sitting in fifth in La Liga. You know, they play some nice passes. Obviously, you've got David Silva playing for them, Mikel Mourinho, or you've played for Dortmund and Newcastle in the past. Uh, an ex United lad, uh, Adnan Yanazai. Um, and he had a good performance as well. He put in some really good balls in from the right. Um, and you'd probably argue he wouldn't look out of place with the United's right-hand side at the moment, which is a little bit poor. Uh, but no, so it, uh, it was just a good night at the office. Um, I think Bruno Fernandes, like, 
know, praise the Lord. <laughs> it's um, he's just wonderful. Like I, I generally get into the point where I think, you know what? They might as well just play him up front. Like they might as well just stick him up front because he's he's yeah. probably the best finisher. Uh, one of the best finishers in the team at the moment. Like, you know, the first goal, really nice touch, took three players out of action, slotted past the keeper. And then the second one, he took himself, you know, from, brought himself into position, uh, kept himself on side and then just slotted it first time. Uh, I mean, Rashford's got a nice needed goal. He has a bit like Marshall. He hasn't been in particularly great form recently. Uh, I think he's only up until tonight, they scored like mm. two goals in the past 13 games in all competitions. So, you know, he's hardly sort of banging them in. Uh, so it's good for him. And obviously Dan James, he doesn't get much game time, um, but he was he was quite good, actually. I think he suited that kind of game. He was able to, um, you know, use his pace on the break. And uh, he had a disallowed goal, which is a good finish. And then eventually got one on his own. So he actually played quite well. Then we finally got to see um, the debut of, Amad Dalio, um, a somewhat expensive £40 million signing from Atalanta, who's played approximately, what is it, 30 minutes of senior football for them. Uh, but in a couple of minutes that he was there, yeah. he, the 10 minutes he got on the pitch, he looked decent. So, yeah, I think it was a good it was a good night at the office. And I think hopefully what that will mean is that in the, in the next leg, they'll be able to rest a few of the senior players. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't really see mm. why you know, the likes of Fernandez, Maguire would need to be playing the next game. And also, I think one thing I've sort of felt for a few appearances now that it's there just seems to be a bit more stability with um, Dean Henderson at the back. Um, you know, what one thing I'm yeah. noticing he's a bit more dominant when it comes to picking out crosses from from out wide. He get he comes off his line a little bit more than De Gea does. So he might not be as good shot shot stopper, um, but he seems to yeah. exude a bit of authority. Um, and it does raise the mm. question now because I read the other day that Manchester United are currently spending just under 700k a week on goalkeepers. Wow. Okay, that's quite a lot of money. Um, Craig, how are Rangers doing in comparison anyway? Yeah, well, not bad. I've got it on the background. It's still 0-0. Um, about 30 minutes in, so, yeah, but I've, I've, we're okay. We're okay. Not, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. No worries. <laughs> but I believe you've got a question for both of us too anyway. Yeah, well, I wanted to, I was just looking at Dortmund last night had a good result. Um, PSG, I can't shock people. Juventus were really poor, and what I just wanted to ask you was, who would you both pitch as the favourites for the Champions League now? And also, who would you back as a sort of dark horse outsider, as a potential someone to maybe make the final or win it that people wouldn't normally expect? So, Adam, if you don't mind, what do you think? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because actually, I said this before we went into record, that I actually feel like all of them have merits in terms of actually winning this competition. I mean, I suppose if we were talking like your traditional obscure outsider, maybe someone like a Borussia Mönchengladbach would be kind of in that category. But right now, I would actually put someone like PSG as the outsiders. Now, that's going to sound really weird to a lot of people, but I think there's always been that expectation that they will do well. And for once... Maybe they haven't got that mantra right now because there is a lot of clubs that are gunning for that Champions League 
spot right now. Um, so I'm going to go for PSG as the outsiders purely because I think we know they've got the capabilities. They've come close in so many of these last few seasons. And I think, you know what, it's probably their season this year by look of things and the way they're playing it. And if I talk about favourites, I'm going to probably be a bit boring here and actually say Bayern Munich. Um, I know we've kind of covered how they've been in and out of it this year, but actually I think, again, they seem to be the team that everyone's gunning to. They're kind of looking at that team as being the team that can do it, I think. Um, if you're talking about consistency, they've been playing it quite well. Um, granted, at the back, um, there could be a few flaws there. And for the likes of Alaba, that's his last season at Bayern Munich. So maybe he wants to go out with a bang. But certainly Lewandowski will be gunning for another Champions League final, that's for sure. So that's my favourites and outsiders. What about you, Andy? Well, I think uh, for favourites, I would probably still say Bayern Munich. Because um, we say, I swear, like when it comes around about January, February, we say it all the time by a minute. Oh, they're not quite the same as they were last season. You know, they're probably not as good. But then, then they just go and win this time of year about 15, 16, 17 games on the bounce. And suddenly they've won the league at a canter. They've won the German Cup and they're at the latter stages of the Champions League. And I think the same thing will happen again um, because they've all been it. They've all been there and done that. You know, for, for Bayern Munich, it's all about the results. So even if the performances are a bit iffy, they just have a habit of grinding it out. And I think, you know, as much as you still got the likes of obviously Haaland and Mbappe, you know, Lewandowski is still hands down the best number nine in the world, bar none. Um, if you look at the goal he scored at the weekend, it was just absolutely disgusting. Uh, just took it on, took it on, the, took it on an absolutely filthy volley. <laughs> um, yeah, he's still still got a world class team. My dark horses, I think, are um, as much as I hate to say, Chelsea. Uh, they've got strong 2012 vibes about them. Uh, you know, they had a new coach coming halfway through the season. <laughs> uh, I reckon they're gonna, you know, they. I think Tuchel seems to have got his methods across very, very quickly. Uh, they look a lot more solid team. And I think with that sort of Nelson experience, because they've got a lot of experienced players in Chelsea, I think they might be a dark horse to go quite far. I don't see them being tactically naive um, with Tuchel in charge, perhaps as they might have been with Frank Lampard. Uh, so that would be my, like, my real out there dark horse kind of prediction. What about you, Craig? I'm going to annoy Andy here and say I think Man City. I've got a feeling this year. I just think Pep should have learned his lessons from last year. I've got a feeling that they might wrap up the Premier League pretty quickly with some games to spare, mm. which might give them a chance to rotate. Um, they just look like a great team. I, I get what you mean with Bayern. They've got that, I call it that sort of almost, that bastardry where they just, they're just bastards. They just know how to win. They just do it when you don't expect. And I, I totally think you're on, but I there's something about Man City. Um, they've sorted out their defensive problems. Um, Diaz is making John Stones look like Cannavaro at the back there, that partnership. In terms of dark horses, <laughs> I would, I've got a, it's hard to call them a dark horse, I suppose, but I think Atletico Madrid. I've been quite impressed with, with especially their defensive record this year. And although they're not uh, a dark horse in the traditional sense of a, maybe a Lazio or an Atalanta, there's something about Atletico, I think they might, when it comes to that two-legged ties, um, Diego Simeone is, is pretty well-versed and it'll be really, really interesting to see how they perform against Chelsea next week. But that would be my outsider's bet, would be Madrid. 
So let us move into the Premier League. So there was a little bit of a shuffle in that kind of top six. Largely remained the same in the top two, however. Um, but it all kind of kicks off at Jurgen Klopp's favourite kickoff time on the Saturday, where we saw Allison create some more hilarity for the neutral. Uh, they lost the game 3 1, um, seemingly in control as well, because Salah scored a really good first goal, but some uh, an equaliser for Madison, shall we start off with, before the blunder by Allison and uh, Harvey Barnes wraps it up. And Klopp conceded the title, uh, looks visibly distraught by the um, aspects of conceding that title. Um, did either of you two watch that match? I did. Yeah, I watched it. You're right. Liverpool were, were largely in control. Yeah. Uh, they scored the goal and you, th- and you think, well, that's it. And then the Madison goal, a little bit of a hint of offside, but was allowed, which is probably the right decision. And then a couple of minutes later, Alisson just, I don't know what he's thinking. He, if, for those of you who haven't seen it, he comes out 40 yards, and I'm not exaggerating, he comes out 40 yards to clear a ball. I think mm. that probably says a lot about his faith in his central defenders, <laughs> defensive partnerships. And he's in the background laughing because he's obviously just remembered what yeah. happened. Um, I think if, if Van Dyke's in that team, that he does not come for that. He just doesn't come for it. He's obviously come on for it. Yeah. They make an absolute arse of it. Um, and then you give Jimmy Vardy an open goal to run into. And I think after that, that double hit mm. just done them. And then Leicester tweaked a bit in the midfield. And, and then the end were relatively comfortable. But not a good day at the office for Alisson. Jurgen Klopp, you're right, was quite upset actually yeah. at, the, at the end of it, and it's not nice to see. Yeah. I know he's had some some real serious um, problems at home, and I think it's probably just kind of compounding a bit at the moment. But I think he's right, and you don't like to hear top managers concede leads in February. But I think he can see that his team are not going to put on a run, little match Man City. So, but yeah, it's a strange game, strange game. But you no, know, fair play to Leicester. Yeah. Well, they sat in third now um, after 24 games. I think they've a bit in your hand off for that at the beginning of the season. So, not fair play. If we move on to the City game as well, um, Spurs became even more Spursy. Um, terrible run they're having right now because that's five defeats in the last six. And believe it or not, their record is only bettered by the likes of West Brom, who haven't actually won in the last six. So that goes a long way to explain how bad Spurs are right now. Um, but if there's something that could sum up that Spurs and Man City match, Davidson Sanchez on his face, flat first for Gundogan's second goal. That kind of summed up Spurs' performance. But I can see Craig wants to say something. So, Craig. I heard a stat today that if Spurs don't beat Wolfsburger tonight, Jose Mourinho will have the same win percentage at Spurs as Tim Sherwood. Wow. Fucking let that sink in. Let that sink in. That's how bad <laughs> it's been back into the season. And you look at Mourinho right now, we're into that phase of Mourinho where we all know it's coming. Um, it says, yeah. comes out in press conferences, talking shit. At the back end of that game, it was like, <laughs> our players played really well, Warriors on the park. He was thinking, what are you watching? What are you watching? But we're, we're quickly becoming into sort of phase three Mourinho, uh, where it's just throw away stupid comments yeah. at the end of games and I'm here for it, man. I'm, I'm here for it. And Andy's got a lot of experience about Mourinho in particular. Well, see, normally you, Mourinho has this three-season pattern. So he, you know, he gets in his first season. It's like I am the happy one, I am the content one, all good and rosy. And then the second season usually comes with some trophies. Now, despite everything, he did deliver some trophies: Europa League, the cup. So I was like, well, fair play. Well, I'll take that. I'll we'll take that. Happy days. And then 
The season afterwards, he doesn't get the players he wants. Cue absolute meltdown. While Spurs Spurs have managed to get the full Mourinho experience in (laughs) half the time. And it's really, really impressive. You know, they're going to get third season Mourinho without the trophies, (laughs) without the good football, without the good league finish. And what makes it even hilarious is that, you know, he's not... He's not a uh, cheap manager. You know he's on an absolute shit ton. Um, so Daniel Levy's not going to want to sack him because he's, he's going to have to pay an absolute uh, ton of money to him. You know, they've got Gareth Bale louching around on the bench on like 300 grand a week. And, you know, I think there was a little clip in the 90th minute or something where he dribbled past by about three or four City players as if he weren't there. And that's probably the best thing he's done all season. Granted, he didn't actually finish it. But yeah, they've got the full Mourinho experience without the trophies and it's just so Spurs. <laughs> yeah. I-, I was going to ask you, Sudo, there's a more serious question, which is the likes of Kane and Son are obviously got their contracts due up in the next few years, would they be potentially looking at a move this summer, regardless of what the situation is with manager? So, Craig, start off with yourself. You're absolutely right. Harry Kane is going to be this generation's Alan Shearer, if if he's not careful. Yes, you play at that club you love. You're an absolute legend in that area. But when he's co-commentating on Match of the Day in a couple of years' time, it will come up. Harry Kane, X amount of appearances, X amount of goals, no trophies. So he's got to make a decision now. Does he want to stay there? I think is it Greaves, who's the top scorer at Spurs of all time? Does he stay there, yeah. beat that record, become the hero at White Hart Lane, never need to buy a pint in North London again? Fantastic, that's great. Or does he want to take that leap and go and win trophies and try and win a Champions League with a top, top team? If he, if he and his agent in the summer said, put the flag up, we want to move, the top 10 clubs in Europe who can afford him would be lining up. And he could almost pick his club. I think it's now or never... Um, yeah. for Harry Kane and for Son really I can't see them Andy's right Mourinho is looking less likely than over in the, the Carabao Cup final less likely they're going to win something but then a League Cup final is that is that going to be the sum of Harry Kane's career one of the best English strikers of the last 20-30 years I think for me personally he has to go uh, whether that's to a Juventus yeah. or a Madrid or you know wherever pick your, pick your big club go and, go and do that go and spend two years abroad I know he's got a wife and kids but you know, go and do that you know, try and win or even, you know, Man United or yeah. City or somewhere else and just try and try and win something. So you look back at your trophy cabinet after a great career and you can go, yeah, we won. I was part of a team that really, really won something. And Son's the same. Son's wasted there. I think they're both wasted at Spurs. And that's the question I was going to ask Andy is, Andy, you've got 200 million. You've got an option of going for Sancho or try and bring in Kane and Son. Which would you rather go for? I mean, I bring in um, Kane and Son all day long. It's like you know, he is Kane is hands down the best, the best sort of number nine in the league, and most definitely the best English one by a country mile. You know, people give Harry Harry Kane a lot of stick because of the way he speaks and and all that kind of stuff. And you know, but at the end of the day, if you walked up at number nine for your team, I don't care who you support, you'd absolutely take it. he's a guaranteed in that United side, he would get a guaranteed 30, 40 goals a season without having to try it. Now, even if you factor in the usual Harry Kane team of injury, uh, that sort of pops up. But the thing is though, even if Son and Kane turn around in the summer and go, you know what? I fancy a move. Levy will price them out of it. Uh, Cause if you think, you know, I know what he'll do. He'll go, well, 
Harry Maguire costs eighty million pounds, so Kane double that, and you might have a player there. And because we're still coming out of a pandemic, I don't as much as all the top ten teams in Milan and beyond would want him. I don't think anyone's going to have the money that would make Daniel Levy go. Actually, I'll take that. Um, I don't think any. I think even United, who are prone to spending silly money, um, I don't think even they would spend that amount. So they might end up having to stick it out to the end of their contracts and or the last year and go from there. Mm-hmm. I just don't see them going this summer. And we'll bring in Chelsea because they've actually bought it up a level and they've brought themselves back into the top four mix now. Um, that's four wins in a row now uh, for Tuchel. Um, a morale-boosting win for them against Newcastle as well, especially with the likes of Werner scoring a good goal as well. Uh, what was it again, Andy? It was uh, a volley. Was it half volley that Werner scored, according to that uh, caption he shared with us? <laughs> well, according to some, well, according to some lad, it was an overhead kick. But yeah, <laughs> more importantly, though, <laughs> it's a good it's, win, right? Uh, yeah, I think it's. Um, it's you know, I think you know, Timo Werner was absolutely brilliant in that game. Um, I think you know. I think Tuchel was bought in mind with trying to get the best out of Kai Havertz and uh, Timo Werner. Um, and I think with Werner, he's started to see the results of that. You know, he seems a little bit, he seems a bit more confident now. He's got his goal and, you know, as much as everyone's ripped into him, I can see Werner going on a bit of a scoring run mm. now. Um, he's got the faith of a manager. He's going to be sort of first choice. Um, and his pace is absolutely frightening. Uh, so I think with someone directing it in the right way, um, yeah, I think they'll do well. And like I said, it just it just feels like um, Chelsea have got an actual tactical plan rather than running off just vibes. Yeah, definitely. And what was interesting, I had a look at stats of pre-Tuchel to actual Tuchel now. And believe it or not, the possession stats are have decreased under Tuchel. So they're down 14%. But it's actually their game management that seems to have increased a notch. Um, what was interesting as well that led me on to this was um, read an article in The Athletic where there's a source insider that said apparently Tuchel is a lot more detailed with his tactics and he's a lot more involved on the training pitch because the likes of Lampard, for example, got the likes of Jody Morris and Joe Edwards to run the training sessions and the players are actually starting to believe a little bit more in that philosophy um, didn't know what you guys felt of that, but it kind of says a lot about Lampard and his style of management that clearly he clearly needs to develop that a lot more if he's going to be considered for any kind of bigger post in the future, right? Yeah, no, no, it's not, not a surprise, surprise is it? Not a surprise yeah, it's at not all, a surprise. I think. With going from Lampard to Tuchel, you've not just gone up one level, you've probably gone up four or five levels of tactical knowledge and announcing. I remember Tuchel's been at Dortmund. He comes from that sort of um, Ralph Rangnick, um, Jurgen Klopp school of of football, um, and he's just a far better tactical manager. Took obviously Paris Saint Germain to the Champions League final last year. Um, I'm surprised that Lampard wasn't on the pitch a lot more training pitch. I think I'm quite surprised at that actually. I thought he would have been the type that would have been really in amongst it and, and with the players. Uh, you, you're right. You can imagine a, a, ta- a pre-game tactical talk with Tuchel and his team being far, far more detailed in terms of tactical game plan, um, analysis of the opposition and, and what Frank would have, would have given. And when a team, you look at your manager and think, 
yeah, this guy really, really knows what he's talking about here. We've not heard this before. Then, then absolutely buy into it. And he's quietly going about it. I think they've won four of the five games under him in the Premier League. Um, the first one was a draw mm. against Wolves, where I think it was the day after he yeah. came in. So, you know, not, he couldn't have done a lot about that. But they're, they're quietly going around around their business. And yeah, like Andy says, you never know in the Champions League. Two-legged ties, you never know. While we're on the theme of managers as well, we've had two questions relating to managerial moves. Um, the first one was from Crystal Palace, so potentially it sounds like Eddie Howe might be moving to there because obviously there's that uncertainty with Hodgson. So the question was, what do we guys think about Eddie Howe as the next Crystal Palace manager? For start off with yourself, Andy. Mm, it could go one of two ways. It can either go full Frank de Boer, uh, where you know they try and play, they try and completely change the way that they play, uh, try free flowing football, and they just get battered every game. Um, or they could be a lot more attractive to watch and become like you know potentially you know high to sort of you know sort of top half maybe kind of team. But the problem with Palace is that. Uh, they don't. They're not the richest club in the world. They've got a lot of players coming out of contract. They've got Sahar, who, you know, to anybody that listens, has made no bones of the fact he wants the players trade elsewhere. Um, I'm, you know, trying to play sort of tick attack of football with uh, M- Michi Bakuai and um, who's the other useless one? Um, <laughs> Benteke. Um, <laughs> you know, they're How not. Dare you? <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I, was, I was getting my useless, I was getting my useless Belgian strikers mixed up there. Um, sorry to any offended Belgians there. Um, but yeah, it's. I think Eddie Howe will will bring a more aesthetically pleasing style. But if you look at Bournemouth over the past few seasons, they used to go on like nine, ten, eleven game streaks where they just get absolutely battered. And last season they got relegated because they just couldn't get out of that mm. rut. Uh, so yeah, maybe Roy Hodgson plays boring football. It's not fashionable. It's very, you know, it's very attritional, not easy to watch. But at the end of the day, he's kept them in the Premier League year in, year out. Um, this is one of those be careful what you wish for kind of yeah. thing. So I appreciate the ambition, but it is anybody telling you it's a gamble? It's not a gamble. Is wrong. It absolutely and is. Craig, thoughts on alternative like options? Who do you think could go into that Crystal Palace job? Well, they're looking at um, potentially Frank Lampard. I heard um, as a manager going in there. I agree with Andy though. Crystal Palace strike rate of managers is not. Good. Yeah. You'll all remember, obviously, Frank De Boer's time there. Crystal Palace tend to be successful, quote unquote, yeah. um, when you stick to the, the good old trusty. So, your Roy Hodgson type, Tony Pulis did okay there, Big Sam did okay there. And when they tried to do something different, a la Frank De Boer or what Eddie Howe would bring, they seemed to come into a bit of trouble. I don't think this squad is an Eddie Howe type squad where they are going to play really, really good football. I think they're back four and the goalkeeper mm. are all over 31. It's not that kind of team. And I think if Eddie Howe's going to come in and the board have a direction of, yes, we want to do something different, there's going to have to be a massive amount of investment and recruitment to make that style. This is not a team that can really do that. And like Andy said, just be careful what you wish for. I think an Eddie Howe Crystal Palace team will start the league pretty bad. And I think they would probably one of the favourites to go down. I think this is a team that's sort of moulded in, in Roy Hodgson's image. They've been playing with this for a long, long time. And if a manager like Howe comes in in the summer and says, okay, scrap all that, 
we're now going to play like you guys haven't ever played before. I think they could get caught cold in a, in a league like Premier League. So, yeah, just be careful what you wish for. But then they should be aiming higher than that. I think, why would you want to go and hire a guy who flirted with relegation year on year on year and then was ultimately relegated? I don't know why the fashions would be there. Yeah, he plays great football, but we'll have two good seasons of football and then we'll be relegated. Mm-hmm. I think Palace should aim higher. I really do. While we're on the theme of Bournemouth as well, um, it's linked that Thierry Henry might be in line to get the Bournemouth job. I've also heard Patrick Vieira because he didn't do too badly at Nice. Um, but again, Craig, thoughts on that? What do you think? Do you think that's the right move for Bournemouth? And is that the right move for the likes of Henry or Vieira? It, just, it feels like football manager, doesn't it? When you get these legends <laughs> retire and then go and, and pick up jobs at Bournemouth and, and Watford, etc. Yeah. I don't think... Thierry Henry doesn't have a proven track record really at management he had a, a bit of a tough time at Monaco I think he's at Montreal isn't he yeah, doing okay MLS, not yeah. great the championship in England for me is one of the hardest leagues in the world to get out of uh, I don't I don't think he's suited to that league at all Patrick Vieira is a better choice for me like you said he, he did decent things in Nice got them into the Europa League which was a, a huge huge achievement for them um, and he was only really dismissed because they've got some new ownership in and, and he wanted a bit more I don't think Bournemouth is a good move for either of them because that's the kind of league that if you were to go into that league with Bournemouth, not make the playoffs, which is quite could happen, struggle there, that could really be a, a sort of a reputation damaging time there. I think if Terry Henry goes into Bournemouth and has an unsuccessful time and gets sacked after 18 months, two years, I can't really see him getting another top job in, in England. Uh, and I like of Vieira. I think they, they can go and get better jobs in the continent. I think Bournemouth would be much, much better served with a manager who knows that league, has been there before, um, and has a, rep, has a reputation of getting teams out of that league rather than going for a sort of continental-style manager who's never played or managed in that league before. And we'll move away from speculation to talk about a real move that happened in Germany, and it was at the beginning of the week. So we saw Marco Royce. Uh, confirmed as the future Borussia Dortmund coach. Um, probably the best unkept secret of the season. And uh, Andy, um, surprising move to some, but actually not to us on the pod. Um, but it certainly rattled a few feathers in Mönchengladbach, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, Mystic Craig over there <laughs> uh, called that one a while ago. Um, so, yeah, and I think, you know, we've sort of gone along with that and thought, yeah, that's probably likely to happen. But it's just the timing of it. I mean, honestly, it's absolutely shocking timing. I mean, I feel sorry for the uh, the social media manager that I had to post that tweet. <laughs> the replies on there were fruity, to say the least. Um, it, you know, it, it's like, I mean, to, I guess for people who are not familiar to say uh, German football, it's like the equivalent of... Um, Pep Guardiola turning around and going, you know what, sod it, I'm going to go to Man United. Like, <laughs> mid-season, just bang. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's gone down badly, I think. It was ill-timed, obviously. You know, Dortmund just seemed to be playing Gladbach. And, yeah, it's one of those, like, I could understand the principle of it, just keeping there to the end of the season, a bit of, um, you know, a slower transition into a new coaching, you know, whatever... Dortmund decide, uh, sorry, Gladbach decided to do. But yeah, it's um 
I just don't understand how you can how you can go into the training ground the next day and command the same authority where they know they're fucking off to your biggest rivals in a few months. Like you know, those players must know. You, you, you don't you know, even if subconsciously you might be the most consummate professional, but subconsciously there's going to be a part of you which isn't giving a hundred percent. So I just don't see how any party thought they would win by making that that announcement early. Um, Yeah, very strange. Very, very strange. And Craig, with you learning German, you probably came across a lot of interesting tweets. Um, Was there a particular favourite from what you can actually share with us on the pod? No, I haven't learned any of the swear words in German yet. My tutor hasn't taught us any of the naughty words, so I, I couldn't possibly <laughs> comment. But Andy, Andy's right. Bundesliga, as a Serie A, actually, it's quite incestuous. Like mm. players and clubs, sorry, players and managers move to you know clubs, rivals all the time, and it's something you don't really see in British football. I'd extend that to Scotland. Really, you don't really get players moving from Arsenal to Spurs or from City to United or. You don't really get that, but it happens all the time in, in the Bundesliga in Europe. And yeah, it's a strange time. It's a strange time. Marco Rosa was brought in from Salzburg as a sort of project coach to really give this Gladbach a sort of five-year plan and, and really go and really challenge. And you know, he's only a, a short year and a half into that, and he's he's gone. And I don't I don't really doubt him for it or, or criticise him for it. Dortmund are a, a sort of bigger team. It's obviously the lure of the yellow wall when it's when it's full and it's got that sort of mystique about it in Germany. So I don't I don't you know I can't fault the guy for what to do that. But you're right, he's going to have to go in and face those players and players who he would have told this season, you know, I'm staying. We've got something to build here. He's going to have to go in and face him now and say, yeah, I'm I'm off in the summer, guys. So <laughs> yes, yeah, bad, bad timing, bad timing. But you could see it happening. It was it was inevitable. I think. There's the other point to this though is. Should the board actually take responsibility? Because there's a clause in Marco Royce's contract that allows him to leave, you know, Mönchengladbach. So, if anything, they shot themselves in the foot by having that clause and allowing another club like Dortmund to just activate it, right? Surely that's the blame of Mönchengladbach. Yeah, I don't know what the negotiations were like. Maybe he or his agent insisted, but it was a €5 million euro clause for a manager which you don't see often that's quite rare yeah. I've never I don't think in my time um, heard of a manager having a release clause so yeah but I think if if, um, if that hadn't been activated and, and Rosa wanted to go I think he would have pushed it through pushed it through regardless but you're right very very strange for a manager to have a release clause yeah. um, We'll just reflect quickly on the Bundesliga from the weekend um, not a lot really actually happens a, a combination of draws really happens for the Saturday fixtures so the most kind of pick out one was Dortmund's 2 all draw with Hoffenheim and then we also saw Leverkusen draw 2 all with Mainz on the Sunday, uh, in reflection, we had Eintracht Frankfurt winning 2-0, so they continued their really strong position. They won over Cologne on Sunday, whereas Wolfsburg drew 0-0 with Mönchengladbach. So as it is, top two stand the same, so Bayern in first place, Leipzig second, Frankfurt third and Wolfsburg in fourth, followed by Leverkusen in fifth, Dortmund in sixth and Mönchengladbach in seventh. Um, let's move into Serie A though because uh, what a game Inter Milan played against Lazio something that will uh, bring a smile to Craig's face but we also saw AC Milan lose away to Spezia so um, incredible but let's start us off with Inter Craig 
I saw the match, you saw the match, incredible scoreline, but also some incredible goals, right? Yeah, Inter were, Inter were fantastic. Big Romelu Lukaku, I don't know what they're feeding them out there in Milan, but he's just turning it on. He's absolutely fantastic. Martinez, Bastoni, Barella, all the players that we, we tune in to watch play at Inter all stepped up and said in the pod last week and we spoke about this weekend's fixtures more around Napoli, Juventus and, and Inter Lazio about how this could be quite a defining weekend and where the Serie A title goes. And I think after seeing Juventus drop points on Saturday night, Milan drop points on Saturday night, for Inter then to go out and really outclass Lazio and, and really put them to the sword showed a lot of character and that's the kind of thing you you then go, yeah, they're, they're, they've got the mentality to go and be champions now. But on the night, they were great. Um, couldn't fault them at all. And I think they made it look quite comfortable in the end, actually. But yeah, really, really good. Yeah, they did. And that's kind of a, a surprise because Lazio went into it with a good form, a good run and form anyway. Yeah. Um, so more surprising by that aspect. Um, but also, I suppose what really helped that result um, take more emphasis was the fact that AC Milan lost away at Spezia. And it wasn't like AC Milan didn't have the big names because Zlatan was on the pitch. So was Mario Mandzukic up top. Um, they were just stifled by a really good Spezia side. A Spezia side that is now mid-table doing a good run of form at the moment as well. So, um, again, really surprising win for Spezia. Andy, do you want to guess who Inter Milan have got in the next game? Milan? Yes, it is. Yep. Big derby as it is. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit more in part two. But talking about other surprise wins, Napoli won against Juventus as well, 1-0. Big game because Gattuso could have been potentially sacked off the back of that result, whichever way that went. But, um, yeah, Napoli really grounded out a result. In the meantime, Craig, your team, Roma, got a 3-0 win against Udinese. Puts them into a strong position into third, yeah. especially off the back of that Juventus defeat. So, um, from your point of view, Craig, Roma, they going to start cementing this a bit more? Or do you think there's still a lot more to play for right now? There's way, way, way more to play for. Roma on Sunday morning were really comfortable. Uh, scored two first half goals and never really looked like conceding, to be honest, really, really solid. But that's what Roma do. They play against teams like Udinese, they play against teams like Spezia, they win comfortably, but they've got this mental block when they come up against other teams. So you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go in a couple of run of games, but when they come up against the Milan or Inter, I wouldn't, I wouldn't back them to win that game either. So, yeah, they were okay. Yeah, right, Spezia, I think I texted you guys about 20 minutes into that game. I watched it. I'm just thinking, oh, Milan are going to really struggle here. And Spezia were, were great. You're right, Spezia are mid-table. I read this week that it's the best performance in terms of league position from a promoted side for 20 years. So they're no mugs. They're really no mugs. I wouldn't have backed them to beat Milan, but they did. And I found out that their manager of Spezia is called Vinny Italiano. Which I thought was just a great name for, for an Italian <laughs> manager. I thought it was really good. So, no, oh, good, fair play to them. And Inter are now top now, 22 games. If they win the, the derby on Saturday, um, or is it Sunday, I'm not sure. But if they win that game, go four points clear in Milan, then, you know, you've got to, you've got to really think that it's probably their title to lose after that. They've done a really good run. So, as it stands in the league, Inter first now. A uh, point behind them is AC Milan, followed into third place by Craig's Roma. Fourth place, Juventus. Fifth place, Napoli. And then you've got sixth place, Atalanta. And seventh, now Lazio. 
So it wouldn't be a pod without kind of reflecting on Scotland as well. So Celtic yesterday reduced the gap to 15 points. Yes, you heard that right, 15 points. Uh, David Turnbull's goal enough to beat Aberdeen. <laughs> but what was more interesting, I suppose, is uh, Derek McGuinness' job seems to be on the line. Um, he's now set a record of six games without a goal, um, in which they've only picked three points as well. Um can you shed any light on that, Craig? And um, do you think it's the right time for Derek McInnes to move on from Aberdeen, given that he's been there for donkey's years, it seems? Yeah, he's been there for a long, long time. And what's quite frightening, actually, is before Steven Gerrard was confirmed as a Rangers manager, Rangers actually offered a job to Derek McInnes. So there's a really frightening parallel universe where that man is our manager. Celtic are about to win 10 in a row and we're not in the Europa League. So... I think I think my lucky stars every day that he, he was he turned us down. Um, Aberdeen are just one of those sides. They certainly sold Sam Cosgrove probably the, the best striker in the January transfer window, and it's really really shown. Um, they've got another guy called Stevie May up front, and he's he's really poor. He's just a hammer thrower. He's like a, a poor man's Ollie Burke, if you can imagine that. Um, he's that bad. So the fact that they're not scoring goals doesn't surprise me. They're now sat in fourth, where when Rangers were not in the league, Aberdeen were sort of steadily finishing second. Mm. Uh, and never really challenged, I think. It depends on what Aberdeen want to do. If they want to stay sort of third, fourth, milling around there, then McInnes will probably get you that every year. They'll, they'll come to finish third or fourth, either them or Hibs that finish third. But if they, if they genuinely want to, you know, potentially challenge one of the old firm, it's, it's very unlikely, it very rarely happens. But even get into the sort of qualifying stages for the Europa League and maybe actually get into the group stage for a change, you see every year Scotland get a, couple, a European place and whoever it is, whether it's Hibs or Aberdeen or Motherwell or Kilmarnock, they get absolutely trounced by the runners-up of the Belarusian conference and you just <laughs> get pumped and you think, you're just a waste of a space. <laughs> so it depends what Aberdeen want. I mean, I don't I don't read their minds. I don't know, they're a strange bunch, but if, they, if they're quite ahead of time with that, that's fine. Um, but, you don't know, you don't know. But again, be careful what you wish for. Aberdeen... Um, have been there or thereabouts and a new manager doesn't always guarantee improvement there's not an awful lot of, of good young Scottish managers out there uh, if I'm honest you can come mm. in Jack Ross was probably the one and he's obviously gone to Hibs um, they yeah. don't really have a lot of money to spend they couldn't then go and get a sort of decent English or a decent continental manager so it's a case of if they have a really good plan of this is what we're going to go and get and it's thought out and it's sensible then yeah fair enough but I would probably advise against a knee jerk sacking and then trying to figure it afterwards, I don't think that would work out too well. And we'll move on to your you boys. Obviously, you beat Kilmarnock thanks to an amazing strike by Ryan Kent. Um, great goal to win any match, let alone that match. But what was more interesting, I saw a bit of the highlights and Ryan Kent seemed to be lighting it up because he set up, a, I think, almost a tap-in. And I can't remember who fluffed their lines. Um, but yeah, you guys should have and could have won by more by the look of things. Um, but great win, nonetheless. Um, slightly overshadowed by the uh, story around the players that were caught breaking COVID rules. Um, but let's just reflect a little bit more first on the match itself. Um, good victory for you guys and sets you up, hopefully, for a victory tonight. I don't know what the latest is right now, but as it stands right now, um, you guys obviously only a few wins away from now winning this title. So, um can you reflect more on that match itself? Yeah, so you're right. Good result. 1-0 um, win at home to Kilmarnock. 
no questions asked, 3 nil, um, three points, 1-0 one win. But the first half was quite poor. We made quite hard work of it. And Ryan Jack scored. He doesn't score many goals, but when he does, they're usually pretty spectacular. And yeah, you're right, it leaves us 15 points clear. We've got a plus 19 goal difference, so it's really 16 points clear of Celtic. We now need four games, four wins um, of our last nine uh, to win the league, and hopefully that will start with Dundee United at the weekend. But yeah, we're not playing particularly well, if I'm honest. We've gone through a little bit of a spell since Christmas where we've you know, won nils, 2 1, sneaking wins. Um, but every, every championship winning season has games like that. No one goes out and wins four or five nil every yeah. week um, over the course of a season. 38 games, it just can't be done. So I think we'll look back at the end of the season on, on the great games. This probably won't be mentioned if there was a DVD of the season. I think they would talk about this game for about 10 seconds and then show the goal and move on. Not not a classic by any stretch, but what was important was the three the three points, particularly after our draw last week against Hamilton. So good to get back on it and, and win again. Mm. And of course, you're absolutely right, overshadowed by some news on Monday morning that um, initially it was just two players we thought had broken COVID rules in, in Glasgow by going to a house party on the Saturday night. It turns out it was actually five. So two senior players and three youth players um, were at a house party. It was interrupted by police. were given you know fines at the time. Luckily, the players were on an off day on the Sunday, so no one came back into the training ground. So there was no sort of risk of transmission there. Um, players have now been suspended and fined. Obviously, one of those senior players was Brugani Zungu, who's on loan from Omeon in France, and, and he will absolutely not be kept. I'd be surprised if he's if he's still there. Very, very disappointed, though, in, in two other players, Calvin Bassey and Nathan Parson. Now, Calvin Bassey was signed by from Leicester's youth mm. team in the summer, had some really good performances, played well, either at left-back or centre-half, you know, potentially a good future. And the other one's Nathan Patterson. And Nathan Patterson's homegrown Scottish guy, come through the, the ranks, plays it right back, but his feature after the feature, signed a new contract a few weeks ago, and you're thinking, this kid's got a real future here. And he does something as silly as that, where we're four wins away from one of the biggest title wins in our history, and to be a part of that, and those two players would have been, they would have played in these last games coming up, they would, they would have played, and to be a part of that, celebrate on the pitch, mm. they probably won't get to do that. Gerard was very, very clear when two of our other players in December broke rules, um, Jordan Jones and George Edmondson, they broke over rules and Jared was really cutting in the press and you know, that's it, they're both now out on loan, they won't play Browns again, and Jared was ruthless with it and for the, the players on, on Saturday to, those five players would have seen Gerard's reaction to that, seen what happened to those two players, to then know that those are the consequences and do it anyway is, is massively disappointing for, obviously for the management team and for us as a fan group as well. Um, but I'd be, I'd be surprised if we see any mm. of those players play for the team again. But yeah, I think in the yeah. modern social media age where everyone's got Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, to go to a bloody house party when everyone's, you know, pissed, uh, especially being Glasgow, <laughs> and to think there's going to be no consequences as a result of that, it's just utterly mindless. And yeah, I was reading about it the other day, like, you know, the other two lads that did the COVID thing, they got sent out on loan, um, you know, no messing about. And I think, you know, the one thing with Steven Gerrard, he has standards. He has very, very high standards, yeah, yeah. probably taken him from back in his playing days. Um, and he's, those standards have sort of really come across in his management. 
Um, if anything, in a weird sense, I admire Gerard as a manager more than he ever did it as a player. <laughs> Sounds a bit weird to say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's mindless. And especially with, um, you know, I know it's slightly political, but Nicola Sturgeon doesn't need much of an excuse to have a pop at, fo- at Scottish football. Um, yeah. and give, you know, given a sort of open goals like that, um, to you know, give her the opportunity to sort of make a dig, and also if you know Touchwood open, probably won't now. But if, if the COVID situation got a bit worse, that would be a really handy go-to excuse for her to shut Scottish football down like last time. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a dangerous game to be playing. We've now played twenty nine games, which was the same amount of games played last year when they awarded Celtic the title. So there's no going back now. Precedence has been set. She can shut the league down all she likes. She can shut it down she likes. tomorrow she likes. Precedence has been set. We will be champions. So, yeah. But no, but you're right. She's she's not a fan of football, Rangers or Celtic or anyone. She's she's quite quick to kick the boot in. Um, yeah, and to, to, to let politicians, footballers are a privileged position. They are. They get to to do what they love and to give politicians that sort of ammunition and excuse to give us a kick. Then yeah, it's not wise at all. Not wise. And Craig, uh, just quickly for the listeners' benefit, what's your latest purchases for your celebration party? <laughs> I've not bought anything yet. I've not bought anything else. Um, I am looking at some old retro Rangers shirts, so I've got a, a really bad habit of buying old football shirts. Um, yeah. My girlfriend is, you know, crazy me when stuff comes through the door now, what else I'm buying. So I've got some old Rangers shirts coming in the post. I've still got my Union Jack bowler hat. Um, and my Steven Gerrard face mask. So hopefully, Adam, by the time Rangers win the league, we should hopefully have a bit more of a relaxed lockdown and, and you and I can get together. I'll buy the champagne uh, and we can have a wee drink and celebrate celebrate Rangers winning the league. I think there's a few bottles already waiting for it, to be fair. So, um, but yeah, can't wait for that moment, that's for sure. Um, right, we'll move into part two. So, Craig, can you fill the listener in around the fixtures that are taking place this weekend? Yeah, of course, can do. So, on Friday night, I've picked out four games. We've got Fiorentina versus Spezia, half past five. Bielefeld versus Wolfsburg at half past seven. Rules versus Leeds at eight o'clock. And then Brest versus Lyon also at eight. Uh, into Saturday, we've got Southampton versus Chelsea. Half past 12, Lazio versus Sampdoria at 2 o'clock. Frankfurt versus Bayern, half past 2. I've picked out two games, Burnley versus West Brom, which I wouldn't normally watch that actually at 3 o'clock, but given the sort of relegation context of how important that game could be to both sides, that could add a little bit of spice to that. Millwall host your team Wickham, Adam, at 3 o'clock also. Atletico Madrid play Levante quarter past three. Nantes versus Marseille at four o'clock. Liverpool versus Everton at half past five. Could be a good game. Schalke versus Dortmund. And for those of you who don't watch uh, a lot of German football, Schalke versus Dortmund for Dortmund fans is a much, much bigger derby than the Bayern Munich game. That's a, a massive uh, Rhine Valley derby. So Schalke versus Dortmund at half past five. And Fulham versus Sheffield United. Again, not a game I would normally watch. But given the, the, where these two clubs are in the league, that could be another added game. I think Fulham are now six points behind Newcastle. They really need to win this game. Uh, and if they cut that to three points, yeah. then you know you never know that could be back on for them. Uh, into Sunday, Parma versus Udinese at half past 11. West Ham versus Spurs at 12. Montpellier versus Rennes, that's also at 12 o'clock. Augsburg host the hopeless Leverkusen at half past 12. 
Barcelona versus Cadiz at one o'clock. Villa versus Leicester at two. As you said, Milan versus Inter, two o'clock. Huge game at the top of Serie A. Hertha Berlin versus Leipzig at three o'clock. Rangers versus Dundee at three. Arsenal Man City at half past four. Atalanta versus Napoli. So fifth place, six at five o'clock. Man United play Newcastle at seven. Mm. Benevento versus Roma, quarter to eight. PSG versus Monaco at 19.45. Uh, and then into Monday, Juventus versus Crotone. Brighton versus Palace, which apparently is a derby. Um, it can't be much of a derby because Sky Sports have put it on a Monday night. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then obviously, as we mentioned, the Champions League game. So we've got Lazio, <laughs> Bayern, Atletico, Chelsea, Gladbach, Man City and Atlanta, Real Madrid. So I would back Man United to beat Newcastle at Old Trafford on Sunday. Uh, and then if Fulham can beat Sheffield United, which I think they will do, that gap at the bottom of the, the Premier League could be three points. Fulham three points from safety. And I think we all, when we had um, the Baggies perspective gentlemen on, we all kind of thought that Fulham might pull yeah, away and Josh, Newcastle yeah. might get dragged in. And it's starting to look like that might be the case. Newcastle are struggling and Fulham seem to have, have their shit together. They always had a good win at Everton. Good draw against Burnley last night, I believe. So they seem to be seem to be getting together. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few weeks we see Newcastle drop into that relegation zone. And while we're on the theme of it as well, Arsenal have quite a tight run in going forward as well. So obviously you shared Man City there. Um, but followed by that, they've got the return leg of Benfica, then they're away to Leicester, away to Burnley, at home to Spurs, and then away to West Ham. Can't imagine they'll get a lot of points in that running. What about you, Andy? Do you think they're going to get much points from that running? No. Um, I mean, they are. I mean, they, did, they had a good performance against Leeds at the weekend. Yeah. Um, but Leeds are the sort of team that. Uh, that Arsenal would like to play because they play so open and, you know, they yeah. push forward. Um, you know, Arsenal were able to play to their strengths. It's a bit like when when United battered them, uh, was it 6-2? Uh, it's just it's just one of those things where it was just ideal opposition for them. There isn't really much else to say about it. Uh, but, you know, when, when they're playing against the likes, you know, Leicester and West Ham gets really organised defences, you know, with good attacking players of their own, let's not forget, um, it could be difficult. Like I said, I don't think Arsenal are going to finish in the top six this no. season at all. No. Um, no. Like, I don't think there's any chance. I think that FA Cup win is the only thing that's keeping Arteta in the job, uh, to be honest. And mm. it's interesting, and maybe I sound a little bit biased, but he hasn't got anywhere near the amount of criticism that, say, Solskjaer got um, when he was at United. But, you know, United have never finished anywhere near, like, was it 10th or 11th for Arsenal in at the moment? So, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Great pods, lads. Thank you very much. Um, and to the listener, it's been a pleasure having you listen to us. Keep up the good work in terms of reviewing us and sharing the love to your friends and family. Um, so without further ado, thank you to Craig. Hope you have a good weekend. Thank you to Andy. Hope you have a good weekend. And you, listener, enjoy your weekend and goodbye. <laughs>